is Off Script with Trish Glose, intimate interviews with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Chris Dennett. Did you just laugh when I said interesting people? I did just laugh. <laughs> You're not the only one. A lot of people laugh at that. And it's, I mean, it's interest, they're interesting to me, I guess. So. Yeah. I, I You know, I, I've lived this life. I suppose it's interesting, but uh, it's just funny for someone to say, oh, you're interesting. Oh, well, okay, you're interesting, Chris <laughs> Dennett. Uh, Chris Dennett, for those of you who don't know, uh, owner of Elements Tapas Bar in downtown Medford, also Beer Works mm -hmm. in Medford and Jacksonville. That's right, yeah, two locations. Um, dad. Yeah. Husband. Uh -huh. Dog owner. Uh, also a son. A son. Turns out. <laughs> what else can we think of? <laughs> um, we're going to talk a lot about, well, not a lot about elements and beer works, but a little bit because it is your life and it's a huge part of your life right now. Yeah. Um, but first, where are you from originally? I uh, was born in Redondo Beach, California. Okay. And uh, so Southern California. I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Californagonian. <laughs> nice. I <laughs> don't think I've heard that before. A Californagonian. What was your childhood like? How long were you in Southern California? Nine years. Oh, uh, okay. That's significant. Yeah. So um, I was uh, three years in sort of Hermosa Beach area mm -hmm. and then about six years in El Segundo. We moved close to the airport because my uh, father was a uh, advertising executive for Western Airlines. Right. Mark Dennett. Mark Dennett, yes. Who I've met, actually. He he did some, he helped us with a poll once for an election. Yeah, that's what he does now. He does a lot of uh, polling and uh, public speaking mm -hmm. and stuff, but he comes kind of from that marketing and broadcast uh, uh, area. Smart man. I believe so. He's very smart. Yeah, if he's going to watch this, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You sm so smart. You smart, Dad. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> well, what was it like growing up next to the beach? I mean, was it everything that people think of? Were you, a, you know, on the ocean all the time? You know, I, not really. I, sort of, to some degree. You know, El Segundo is a funny place because there's the beach right there, but then you have a big hill mm -hmm. uh, that comes over after PCH, and then most of El Segundo is just slightly inland. Um it, it's kind of like what everybody thought, but probably a lot more tar on your feet than people know. Mm, okay. <laughs> you spend a lot of time going to the beach and pulling tar off. And the, I mean, this was the the mm. late 70s, early 80s, and there had been some oil spills and stuff. So. Oh, okay. That's not pleasant. Yeah, but I mean, it was, I suppose, an idyllic uh, lifestyle. You know, back then, in the at that period of time, that part of Los Angeles, the South Bay area, was, uh, like, super safe. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, we would... Uh, go trick-or-treating at night and ride bikes around until, you know, mm -hmm. dark. And, mm -hmm. You know, it was like, you got to be home at dark. Like, right. Okay, well, that. the last, one of the last few podcasts, he was talking about, you know, when the street lamps came on, that's mm -hmm. when you knew like, to, time to go home. Go yeah. home. Yeah. And I think everybody kind of has a little element of that. Um, did you grow up with siblings? No, actually, I'm an only child. Uh, I, oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> Does it? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up, you know, I, I have uh, two stepbrothers that I call mm -hmm. brothers at this point, you know, and I, they've been my brothers since I was 15. So, you know, I've got almost 30 years of history with them, you know, as, as mm. being a family member. But mm -hmm. no, at the very beginning, you know, it, I was uh, just uh, born to the Dennett's uh, in uh, Love Southern me. California. Yeah. <laughs> Love me and only me. Um, when did your parents divorce? Uh, they got divorced when I was, I want to say 11. Okay. Either 10 or 11. It was when we moved to, uh, we had moved to Jacksonville. Oh, okay. So you had moved from, um, it was straight from Southern California to Jacksonville? Yeah, to Jacksonville. Okay. What was the reasoning for the move? I, you know, that uh, I, not, probably not all of the motivations were shared with me. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, ultimately, I think that my uh, parents were not real interested in raising me long term in uh, Southern California. Totally. And my mom's from Oregon. And uh, my mom and dad met at University of Oregon. So um, the the way we even found it was my mother and I, when I was nine years old, we were heading up the coast. We decided to take Highway 1 uh, and 101 mm. up the California coast, visit all the nice places along the coast. And she was headed to a um, college uh, reunion in Eugene. So we got about as far as Crescent City. And she said, well, about here we should, you know, go over. And we saw this little... Uh, advertisement for like a doll museum which was at the McCulley house and she was looking at this thing and she saw the little 238 sign over on the left hand side of the of the, the trifold brochure mm -hmm. so I think I know where this place is uh, at one point she had uh, left for a semester uh, because she wasn't doing well at U of O and had come down to Ashland that I think at that time was Sock 
And she said, yeah, I, I had a friend who used to take me out to Jacksonville, uh, mm -hmm. and I know exactly where this is. We should go check it out. So and you guys went to Jacksonville to check it out? We went to Jacksonville to check it out, and this was in probably July. And um, it was a, a neat town. Uh, I, you know, I think my mom was sort of nostalgic for it. There was some intention, I think, at some level to, to have us move in mm -hmm. general. And uh, so we went to Eugene, and uh, my dad flew up. And then we all kind of drove back together and we went back through Jacksonville to mm -hmm. look at this house and uh, we bought it and moved in in November wow. of uh, 83 and opened, wow. a, opened a bed and breakfast. Really? Yeah. Okay. In Jacksonville. Yeah. Awesome. I think every, I think everyone's first impression of Jacksonville is I want to live here. Yeah. I, Mine uh, was, at least. I just thought it was the most beautiful, charming town. Yeah, it's a neat place. Mm -hmm. I loved living there. I still love Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. So you guys move in 83, mm -hmm. um, open a bed and breakfast. And then how soon after that were did your parents split? Uh, not too long after that. Okay. Like probably a year, year and a half. It wasn't easy. You know, my dad was in a situation where... Um, uh, Western Airlines was folding, and they were um, undergoing a merge with Delta. Okay. And so he was required to basically still be down in Los Angeles doing that. So it was my mom and I living basically by ourselves up here mm. in Jacksonville, and he would commute and come up on the weekends. And That's then, hard. Yeah. And, <clears throat> I mean, like I said, they didn't share a whole bunch of that information with me. So Did it ever have any sort of impact on you later, or at the time was it just like, mm? It's all good. You know, funny you ask that. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Uh -huh. maybe. Maybe it's had an impact on me. I don't think so. Uh, I remember when they told me uh, them, you know, their very first important thing, they're like, you know, this is not your fault. It's not because of you. Yep. And I remember thinking to myself, of course it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> How would this be my fault? Crazy? <laughs> this it's is, not my this fault. is you guys. Yeah. Like, this your is issues. not my fault. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Um, I absolutely remember the day when my parents said we're getting a divorce. And I, I mean, I can remember every single second of that. And I was eight. Uh -huh. You know, and I mean, there's just so many elements that you forget in your life, but those, there are those yeah, ones that just Yeah, and they're sort of indelibly burned, right, mm -hmm. into your memory. I mean, we were at McKee Bridge. They took me up to the Applegate and, and did the deed there. <laughs> so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> so you, your childhood was slightly split. I mean, Southern California and then here in Southern Oregon. Mm -hmm. What was high school like for you? Because you went to high school here. I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I... Uh, I went to high school to Saint, at St. Mary's. Okay. So I'm a St. Mary's alum. My stepfather uh, was a teacher there. Hmm. So uh, that's where I went to high school. And I probably had a pretty normal high school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I d disliked myself. and uh, So normal. <laughs> right? That's what I mean. Like totally normal high right, school life. Right, Played sports, was on student council, uh, did uh, terrible in school, uh, but uh, did okay on... Uh, on tests, so uh. that surprises me. I mean, it, it does and it doesn't because you're. I consider you easily one of the smartest people <laughs> I, I know. But you're Smart you're also you're also a big reader, though. Yeah, I love reading. Exactly. Did you love reading in high school? Uh, not the way I do now. No. Okay. I, you know, I I think I like other high school kids. I mm -hmm. did what I could to not read the books. You know, uh, that they mm -hmm. uh, told us to read. Uh, it was actually kind of funny because it was after high school where I started going through some of the books that they had, you know, that were like required reading for high school. And I was like, gosh, that's actually a pretty good book. I should have read that. Yeah, why didn't I read this earlier? I know you and Chuck have talked about that too. He was the same way. Yeah. Horrible student, but really, really, really smart. And then it was after high school where he was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. Maybe yeah. I should read some of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what happened. So what came after high school then? Uh well, directly after high school, I went straight to college, mm -hmm. uh, and I went to college in Indiana uh, at a Quaker college, a small liberal arts college called Earlham, which they accepted uh, non-traditional students, which is what I was. So uh, <laughs> when you have good test scores, but you walk out of high school with a 2.3 GPA. Right. You're <laughs> some, special. Some schools look at you like, so why didn't you do anything? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, it was uh, boring. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I just think it's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. But uh, landing at college, it was great. I played baseball in college uh, for the first year. Um, and then after that, uh, I didn't because I don't know, I probably had an attitude. I didn't get along well with the baseball coach. And, mm -hmm. uh, I just stopped playing for whatever reason, you know, and kind of focused on other things. Did you finish or did you um, take... Any time off from? I, I did finish. I have a degree. 
Okay, good. But uh, I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> suggesting anything. I took a year off, and and it was funny because during the year that I took off, in between my uh, uh, sophomore, I mean, sorry, in between my junior and senior year, I took that year off, mm-hmm. and during that entire year, my Dad would introduce me to people as his dropout son. Oh, <laughs> this Dad. This is my college dropout son. I, I know he was trying to do is just kind of push me back to doing it. Yeah. And eventually I realized, look, I, this is like dropping out of the marathon at mile 22. Like, uh, I, I should just finish this. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had my junior year of college I had done at Aberdeen University in Aberdeen, Scotland. And so after I got back from Scotland, I was just kind of like, you know what, I don't really feel like going to college right now. Mm, totally. So. Why Scotland? Um, I don't know. So, I, mean, I, I guess at the time that uh, it was the only program that my college offered that was an entire year. And I wanted to go somewhere where I could be for the entire college year. I didn't mm-hmm. want to just go for like half a year, or like mm-hmm. a semester, two semesters or anything. And um, it went through the Great Lakes College Association. And I'd always sort of been fascinated and uh, with the UK, and uh, I I thought they spoke English, so I uh, <laughs> I went over there thinking that I would understand everything. Nothing. <laughs> well, not at first. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It is weird. I mean, weird in a great, awesome way. Yeah, I mean, even the very first like arrival, you know, I, like I, I get into this taxi and this guy looks at me and he goes, "Felt like," I'm like, "What?" Fet like. Okay, what does that mean? I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. It's all fet. That's it's a car. Fet. That's the street. Fet like me. Okay, what? Yeah, it, that was my response, and he goes, "How's it going?" Oh, because he knew you didn't understand him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the Aberdonian uh, accent's really bizarre because the WHs make an F sound. So what is fet, and when is fan, and mm. where is far? So you know, if you, someone asks you where are you going, like they'll say Fariguante. Did your heart sink when you got, when you're just like, oh. No, actually, it was really exciting for me. I was like, oh, wow, I am going to learn a foreign language. You really, I mean, <laughs> I just, I want to say your accent's on point. Well, I was, I was there for 11 months, so. Mm-hmm. Did you make any long life friends that you still keep in touch with? No. <clears throat> no? I mean, I, I made friends that I thought would be mm-hmm. that, but uh, that's just not how it shook out. Any life lessons in Scotland this year that you were there? Um, I don't know. Probably, probably plenty. The uh, that's sort of a difficult question. Um, one of the life lessons, well, probably the most important one in Scotland is that I can do it. You know, oh, the, I like that. The, the uh, learning through the whole time that you know, being that far away, being completely isolated on your own. There's no safety net, really. I mean, like mm-hmm. I can, I could call home, or you know. Uh, they could give me a credit card and I could buy groceries with it or something. But, you know, from the standpoint of like actual support, um, there wasn't much there. You know, it was sort of, yeah. it, was, it was kind of like, you know, you got to do this, kid. And totally. How old were you? Uh, 20. Okay. Yeah. I think that is an amazing discover, self-discovery when, you know, and that sort of hit me too, looking for jobs outside of Medford. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom sitting down with me and she's like, well, why do you want to get a job in Portland or this big city? And I'm like, well, I just want to prove that I can do it. And she's, I remember her saying, well, you know you can do it. And yeah, I you've think, already proven that. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think knowing within yourself, like, I can do this, maybe going into it, or then after on the other side saying, I, I did that. I, I can do it. It's such an amazing feeling. Yeah, when it really kind of struck home, so I had, um, during spring break, I was trying to figure out what to do during spring break, and I I had kind of a weird experience there. I I took an electric guitar with me mm-hmm. to Scotland that uh, did not have an amplifier, so it was like super, super quiet. And then I got kicked out of the original dorm I was living in for having a music instrument <laughs> because the person across the hall was complaining about the noise on the hall. Oh, jeez. So that I'm talking to them, and they literally, they call the people in charge of dorms wardens. So I had to go to talk to the warden, and I was like in block D. So I had to go talk to the warden and be like, so what's going on? Right. Yeah, and he's like, so when are you moving out? Solitary, solitary confinement. Yeah, so basically I get kicked out of Dunbar Hall, and uh, and then I got uh, sent up to this place called Hillhead, and so I'm staying at Hillhead and living in this flat with all of these Greek people. So oh. like all of my roommates were, were Greek people, and uh, and I as soon as I get in the flat, like the second night I'm there, they're in trouble for being too loud also, so I got <laughs> transferred into this flat of people, and so we're sitting there, you know, being talked to by the warden of Hillhead. Uh-huh. 
And, and I'm just sort of, you know, like face palming this one and like shaking my head and smiling. And, you know, the lady's like, so, you know, why are you laughing? I'm like, because this is ridiculous. I've lived here for two days. Right. And I'm already in trouble. Like, Troublemaker. Come on. Yeah. So uh, I had been asking those Greek guys, I was like, what should I do for spring break? And they're like, we should come to Greece. I was like, okay. So, um, so I flew to Athens and stayed with them for a few days and then ended up uh, on a ferry one morning uh, on the way to Mykonos. And then when I got to Mykonos, I basically ran out of money. And, uh, and I was, there was no bank there that would give me like a, a, a credit card advance or anything. Mm. And I didn't have money to get back to Athens, even though I had a plane flight from Athens back to Aberdeen. Oh, that so, makes me nervous. Yeah, so I was about 12, 12 days, 14 days, basically sleeping on the beach and homeless on Mykonos. And when I got back to Athens, I called my mom and said, hey, I, this just happened to me. And I'm wondering if you mind if I use this credit card you gave me to, you know, get a hotel room. And, and I, I'll never forget, like, she said, so, so you were homeless in, in Greece for almost two weeks? And I said, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. And she goes, well, now you know you can do it. And so that was sort of, Thanks. <laughs> I, mean, don't, I mean, she's a sympathetic woman. Don't no, for sure. Not. I've met her. She's yeah. lovely. But that was the, you know, so that at some level, that was sort of the encapsulation of like what I took from, from, from Scotland and from right. that year abroad anyways was like, right. yeah, I mean, I hit some lows. I went down some weird paths, but uh, got out of it and mm -hmm. uh, survived. And uh, now I know I can do it, yeah. I suppose. Exactly. Well, I've never been homeless, but I can only imagine that. That's that's pretty bot. That's like bottom. Yeah, you know, it wasn't totally bottom because I I did have a home. You know, mm -hmm. I did have a family that loved me. I mean, I right. guess if the I have to admit that at some level I I sort of chose that, and, mm -hmm. and be, because if the if the crap had really hit the fan, I probably could have made some phone calls and been on a plane Absolutely. the next day. Of course. So you know, it's don't feel too sorry for me. Okay, I, well. I think there was some decision uh, in that process. You were a bum in Greece. Yeah. You were a transient in Greece. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> that's awesome. See, that's an interesting story. Yeah, I suppose. Right there. So you get back to school in Scotland, and you finish out the year and yeah. come back to the states. Yep, fly back to the states, and okay. then. Took the year off and worked in the restaurant industry because that's kind of what I'd been doing the whole time, you know, as I'd been traveling and working in, through college in general mm -hmm. was, you know, busing tables, waiting tables, you know, uh, you know, uh, being a prep cook, uh, pantry. I was a pizza cook for a little while. Like I'd kind of been doing all those things. So came back and lived in Jacksonville mm -hmm. and uh, worked at the Bella Union for that year. Awesome. And, and then went back. Uh, in 96 and uh, graduated in 97. Did you did you know you were going to go back to school or you just weren't sure? You just needed some time off. I think I always intended to finish. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was I wasn't ready to go back. Uh, you know, I had uh, enough had happened to me. I, I felt like I'd lived quite a lot in mm -hmm. that year away. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really ready to go back and kind of get back to, you know, quote unquote normal. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, it, it, I, it was a decompression time. Yeah. I experienced quite a bit of uh, culture shock coming back too. So coming back to the United States was very strange for me. And that, you know, a lot of times when I've traveled, that's always been the case for me is coming back to the US is much more challenging mm -hmm. uh, it, than going somewhere. Mm -hmm. You expect it to be different somewhere else. But whenever you come back, it's almost as if time has stopped, right? And you show, you show back up and everything's changed. And uh, even really small things that you wouldn't think about, you know, make you go, oh, that happened while I was away, mm -hmm. you know, and then you get struck with the fact that everybody drives a giant car and like your refrigerators are seven times larger than they should be. And, uh, you know, people just like Americans, we just spread, like we just take up space, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, probably because we have it, you know, like uh, it's different, you know, especially in Europe. Yeah. And also, I think being in the restaurant industry can somewhat be addicting. Like it's just something. At least it was for me. I loved working in restaurants. Yeah, it's absolutely addicting. Uh, well, for me, it is. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. still doing it. I'm addicted you to are. it. <laughs> you know, you've made it your career. I, I think some people hate it. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a special kind of uh, masochist to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But there is a real sort of camaraderie, I think, in mm -hmm. in the restaurant industry, uh, where you realize that you're working with people. It's hard work. Uh, it's, you know, it's physically demanding at times, 
it's emotionally and mentally demanding at times. You know, I wouldn't say it's the hardest work. You know, I don't sit here and, no. you know, I do, I, I hear I do you. a pretty easy job. Uh, but for some people, it's really difficult that operating with the public. So we, we end up being pretty hard on each other. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a protection in being hard on each other because it helps us be ready for the public being hard on us. Like it, it's it's not common that you can work in a job where you'll go somewhere and someone will literally tell me you ruined your my night. Mm. And 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 sometimes your response is, yeah, your food is a little late. Right. Uh, you know, I, I understand it's an important evening for you. Right. But on the grand scheme of things, no one died. No one got hurt. Exactly. <laughs> no, know. for sure. I also think with, you know, restaurant workers, especially the ones are on the night shift, it's this band of food and drink warriors who kind of like get together <laughs> yeah, after everything. Food, food and drink pirates. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you're just, you know, after your shift, you just kind of sit around with. There's, there's truth to that. You know, there's not a lot of industries where you can. I mean, we'd yell at each other, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happens in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's it's fast-paced. It's 110 degrees in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are forgetting things. You're trying to organize stuff. You know, as a, I'm sure that people say things to me as a boss that they would never say to another boss at any other time. But it's almost forgivable, uh, forgivable because mm-hmm. it's the restaurant industry. And at the end of the night, everyone goes, huh. Wow, that felt like work tonight. Right. You know, want a drink? Let's have a shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. and then it's like everything's okay after that. Well, and it's just there's so many little ins and outs to you know whether you're a hostess or a server, and you know the customer wants to be sat in this section, but it's not open yet, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, why can't I sit there? And you're like, yeah. <gasps> I tell you what, man, I think uh, one of the hardest jobs in the restaurant is the host. Yeah. It's you're like playing. Moving Tetris and trying to right. get everything organized, and you've got uh, you've got a kitchen that doesn't want everybody seated at the same time because that slams them. Exactly. You have servers that that it's unfair to them to completely load their section in four tables all at once. But then you have other servers who are going, "Why are you always seating this person? Right. Well, you need to be seating my section, right. you know, because they're there to make money." And so it's a it, absolutely or customers not understanding why they have to wait. Yeah. When there's there's a ton of open tables, it's like, well, those are sections and they're not open yeah. yet because there's not servers for those sections. And I think the real tragedy is that when people go into restaurants, they often think that that's the least skilled position. Like they walk in and they go, oh, you must be brand new. You're, right. You're the host. Right. You're you know? a teenager. And, yeah, you have no they, idea what you're doing. Yeah. And that's just not true. I right. Mean, uh, Thank you. I agree. That was a really tough job at Chili's I had <laughs> when I was 16. It's not an easy job. Well, then you learn really the phrase, the customer's always right, they kind of have to be. Not always, but it's in those situations. I mean, you really have to just like dig deep and just... Yeah, I think maybe a better way of thinking about it is not... You know, if you're looking at objective truth or something, I mean, the customer's always right. That's not true. Sometimes the customer is absolutely wrong. But but the customer is always the customer. And I think mm-hmm. that's the way that it needs to be approached in right, the service wrong, industry. Right, wrong, it's the customer. Yeah, is that that yeah. person needs to leave wherever they're eating or whatever their experience is. They need to leave the hero of their own story. Mm-hmm. And if that means letting it just slide off you and say, oh, of course, yeah, and mm-hmm. kill them with kindness, then mm-hmm. then that's what you do. Because, exactly. Because it's not about whether they're right or wrong. It's about the fact that they're frequenting your establishment and they're your customer. Right. And so you just need to treat them with the kind of respect that you would treat every customer they're in the spotlight in this moment yeah it's it's their night they're not there to see us you know they're not (laughs) (laughs) right in some cases maybe but you know for the most part you know they're there to hang out with the people they came to dinner with that's their experience that's what they want you know they want it to be seamless from the side you know from Mm -hmm. that aspect they're not there to listen to waiters tell jokes or right uh listen to people's life stories or i've been slammed all night and this is wrong and that is right yeah no for sure so you graduate in 97 yes what comes next uh well um having graduated with a degree in philosophy Mm -hmm. uh, i didn't know what came next (laughs) so i uh it was uh it was a funny thing what came next was Australia, but I should explain how that happened. Okay. Um, I woke up, I still remember the day, it was on April 4th, and I woke up in the morning I, and, and just went, uh, I need to go to Australia. And I hadn't had a dream or anything like that. I just sort of woke up and went, uh, I need to go to Australia. Okay. And uh, that never happens to me. It had never happened to me in the past, so mm-hmm. I thought maybe I should pay attention to it. Like, it, eh, it seems like maybe that's important. I'm feeling called. 
Yeah. And uh, so I went to my first class, which was an eth- uh, aesthetics class on um, uh, Westerns. And uh, <laughs> high-level philosophy stuff here. <laughs> we would watch Western movies and talk about them. So uh, deep. Yeah, well, you know, I just I was basically done with my major and needed extra credits, and I was like, that sounds That sounds fun. great, yeah. yeah, sounds awesome. So uh, I went in, and one of the girls who I was taking the class with, uh, she said, hey, what are you doing after college? And I said, uh, I don't know, I haven't decided yet. She goes, well, my friend and I are going to go to Australia. Would you be interested in going? And I said, yeah, let's do it. Is this after your wake-up epiphany? Yeah, exactly. This is like two hours after I woke up. Okay, that's just crazy. Right? Isn't it strange? So I, uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. And so I applied for this program called a work holiday visa in Australia where you get six months of work visa and six months of just travel visa. Mm-hmm. And they only give out 100 a year. And I, had, I, I ended up getting visa number 98. So oh, it was wow. like right at the very end. I came back to Jacksonville and worked at the Bella again. And when I was working there, one of my bussers, uh, his family and he owned a travel agency that was called Travel Australia New Zealand. So all of these pieces just sort of fell in together. No doubt. And uh, in about September or October, I uh, went, went traveling. For a year? Yeah. In Australia? Well, not just Australia. Uh, so I, I went on Air New Zealand, and Air New Zealand had this really cool ticket. So it was like a 12-month ticket. Okay. And you had 12 months, and you could do five stops. And it didn't matter when you went or how long you were at any place. Oh, you just had to cool. call them up two weeks in advance and say, hey, I'm going to want to get on this plane at this particular time. How awesome. Yeah, it was great. So we flew from, you can look at the map over here, flew from Vancouver. <laughs> There's a map behind the camera, yeah. <laughs> we should say. A map of the world. Uh, of, yeah. The, uh, I went from Vancouver, British Columbia, and then uh, flew down to Rarotonga. And then mm. I was in the Tongan Islands for a little bit. And then uh, went to Australia. And then I was in Australia maybe seven or eight months. Hmm. Uh, this is in the podcast where we would put like a little graphic up with a plane and like yeah, right. little <laughs> dots of where you. <laughs> the red line behind Yeah, exactly, the, where you landed. Uh, and then on the way back, uh, also stayed, uh, you know, I visited uh, Indonesia while I was there mm-hmm. and then uh, stayed in Samoa for a bit. I was probably two or three months in New Zealand. So awesome. just did a bunch of travel down there. Um, but when I showed up in Australia, uh, I was in Melbourne, is where I spent the majority of the time. Uh, I showed up with 200 bucks. Like, I didn't have any money when mm-hmm. I landed in Australia. And uh, so I got a job the next day. Awesome. Where? At a place called Coriander Thai, which was a Thai restaurant in uh, St. Kilda. So how was this year experience? I mean, obviously, you, you had spent a year in Scotland and time in Greece, and then now you're kind of traveling the world a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I had done a whole bunch of travel prior to this because my dad worked for the airline industry. Right. So, you know, and I'd already been to Australia when I was seven. So it, oh, okay. Um, I had been to more countries than states by the time I moved to, to Oregon. Um, but as far as a year, I mean, it just sort of, I didn't really plan on coming back, to be honest. Like, mm. I was sort of like... Uh, yeah, I like the world. I'm going to go see the world. I'm going to do all of these things. And I don't necessarily have any inkling to, mm-hmm. to you know, return. You s- see how that worked? Yeah, <laughs> but you did. I did. You came yeah. back. And wh- what year did you come back? Uh, so I was, I guess, 98. Okay. Yeah. To Oregon? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, when I flew back from Australia, it had been in Samoa on the way back, uh, then came back to Oregon and my intention was to move to Eugene mm-hmm. but it turns out it's really tough to get a job in Eugene if you're a 24 year old uh, philosophy major with only restaurant experience what right can you believe it so uh, That's ridiculous so I ended up uh, back in southern Oregon mm-hmm. uh, was there ever when you came back was there that feeling again of like ugh, I'm, I, I'm back in the states or I no? don't think so um, you know I, I like Oregon. You know, there's about three or four places in the world that I would live, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I'm here. So, no, I don't think, you know, coming back, had I didn't have that feeling. There was no dread. It's never like I was like, ah, oh, crap, I'm back in America. Totally. Or, or, you know, I like this country. I'm proud of this place, and that there's a lot of really amazing things. There's a lot of stupid things about it, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of great things, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, so for me, no, that wasn't the, the case at all. Uh, okay. I definitely also didn't think that that was it. I, you know, I, I never 
have believed that and I never believed at the time that just because I went back to some place meant that, I, you know, that's it. Oh, it's over. That You're part, stuck. Yeah. I'm going to close that chapter in the book. And, For sure. You know, and now what's next? Mm -hmm. you know, so n there was never that sort of idea. Okay. So, uh, no job in Eugene, or did you end up working in Eugene? I did for a short okay. period of time. Yeah, I uh, uh, I worked at a place called Eugene Direct Mail Service. I, I sorted junk mail on a big giant machine called an OCR. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, kind of. It was a terrible job. Uh, I hated everything about it. It's one of those jobs where you're like, this is definitely what I don't want to do for the yeah, rest of my life. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and they just they wanted to keep me. They offered me more money. They offered me managerial position and stuff, and I just kind of went, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Okay, so what's after Eugene then? Uh, came back to Bedford, and uh, one of my friends from college, uh, who uh, I had met my freshman year in college, he and his wife had moved to Medford. Okay. And uh, I was talking with him, and he said, well, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I think I'm going to move to Japan and teach English. And he said, well, why are you going to do that? I said, because uh, I could pay off my college loans. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, you know, you could pay off your college loans if you sold cars. He was working at Subaru. <laughs> so I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to sell cars. <laughs> He's like, well, why not? And I was like, because well, then I'd be a car salesman. Yes. You know, I, don't, I just, I, that's, I don't want to do that, you know. I don't want that to be the end of everything that I've done, you know. And, uh, and he goes, well, you can make pretty good money doing it. You know, you should, you should consider it. You know, come check it out. And, mm -hmm. and then I just, I tried it. Yeah, and you were a car salesman. I was. I was a car salesman for two years. <laughs> And I should say this. I want to say this. Uh, I want to give some credit to the to the car industry in some ways, in a lot of ways. I, I would not know what I know about business today if I had not had that time mm -hmm. in the car industry. I mean, let's be honest about people in the car industry. If you, if you were the kind of person who was not comfortable with other people and you had anxiety, like you would be a melting puddle of human in the corner of your office and you would never talk to anybody. Like you have to be ready to go out there and take heat and have people not like you and and you have to you have to be resilient enough to just kind of you know it's got to be water off the back of the yeah duck, well know? there i think there's a stereotype of car sales people yeah and it, you know and and there are those stereo i mean those stereotypes exist because those people also exist <laughs> but the uh but that's not you know not every car salesman is like it's like the stereotype of like well every chef is mad and yells or True. uh you know Every uh, bartender is, you know, is this or that or the other. I mean, there's there's a ton of stereotypes. There are, so. there are a ton. What did you learn from working? In the car industry? In the car industry. Um, a couple of probably really important things. I mean, it was one of the best crash courses in, in business in general that, that I think a person could have, you know, especially someone who hadn't, like, been to business school or something. Right. Um, but probably one of the most important things I learned was that the answer is always no if you don't ask. Mm. And that is, uh, you know, the best way to, to not get something is, is to not try mm -hmm. or not ask, you know. Mm -hmm. And you learn that in the car industry, you know. And those are the uncomfortable asks, like when you're saying, well, so do you want to buy this today? You know, that's the, one, that's the moment that's probably the most anxiety. It's like you've had a good test drive. You've gone through all this stuff. And then, you've laughed. Yeah, you've exactly. told stories. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're looking at that person going, so you ready to buy this? Right. You know, and then, of course, they're going, no, of course I'm not ready to buy this. No, uh -huh. I didn't think about it. And then right. that's when you start going, what do you, what do you have to think about? You know, and it, so it, it can sort of turn into this interesting kind of uh, confrontation. Sure. So, yeah, uh, you don't get anything that you don't ask. And mm -hmm. number two, I learned a lot about negotiation. Mm -hmm. You know, you ask a question and then you just be quiet because the first person who talks loses. Oh, man, that would give me major anxiety. Oh, and it's uncomfortable. Like yeah. there are times when you would ask somebody something and then you just, that's a butt clench moment. That's what mm -hmm. I call those. It's yeah. just sort of like, oh. <laughs> and you just wait for them to talk because as soon as they talk, then you'd be like, okay, now I have something to go on. Okay. But right. and, and it was funny because, you know, everybody says that how they hate that industry and the negotiation aspect of it. But think about it. If you went into a car dealership and you said, hey, you know what? I only want to pay this much. And they went, okay. Right. Like you'd leave going, okay, I got ripped off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. What just happened I left to me? money on the table. So. so you did that for two years? I did it for two years, and then I stopped doing it uh, for a, a little bit of time because I, I met a guy when I was selling cars who had a house in Belize, and I got sick of selling cars, so I just turned my lock key in. About a month later, I jumped on a plane and went to Belize for two months. Okay. 
and then uh, rented his house down there and then spent some time in Guatemala working on an archaeological dig to see if that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> and, uh, and then I came back and then went back into the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. And then I met a guy who invited me to go to Romania to open a soup kitchen, who was one of the busters at the Bella, Wally, my, one of my partners now at Beerworks. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we were all set to go to Romania to do a soup kitchen. And then 9-11 happened, so this is in 2001. Oh, and, man. And I got really nervous about traveling. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. Right. I, uh, so I didn't really necessarily want to fly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, over to Eastern Europe and be in a position. I think for all of us at that time, it was a real sort of like, what the hell's going on? A hundred percent. You know, so... I just sort of hunkered down, and, and I think like a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. So instead, I moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and was a snowboard bum for the winter. <laughs> that makes total so, yeah, sense. So that's what I did instead. I still wanted to leave and go somewhere. Right. Uh, so I went to Jackson Hole and um, worked at some really nice places there, but worked like three jobs. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I realized, you know, I, I'm never going to make any money or save or have a life if I live in a ski town. Like, this is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. but... Uh, but it, there, it, there's not a future to it if I can't yeah. find a job in the summertime and stuff. So I came back to Medford again and worked in the car industry again for about a year. Okay. And then I was just over it. I couldn't do it anymore. I got tired of talking to people who didn't like me. I got tired of how I thought about people. You start, you start, you start meeting people and wondering, I think I might know what they're like to, to buy a car, mm -hmm. you know? And so you start doing this preconditioning thing. I just didn't enjoy it. Okay. But where where does Danny come in into all of this? Danny, your my wife, your my current, beautiful wife, your current wife, <laughs> my current wife, my only wife, your only wife. <laughs> my, she's your favorite. My she's first your and only. She's your favorite wife. <laughs> she's my favorite wife. <laughs> where does she Where does she enter the picture? So uh, after stopping the car industry for the second time, okay. Uh, then I was in. I started a furniture business, uh, selling like. Uh, contract furniture. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't really like that very much. So I stopped doing that. And then I went back into the restaurant industry again mm -hmm. and started bartending and bartending at Howie's. And so I worked at Howie's, you know, off and on for probably like four or five years. Toward about 2005 or so, she was a bartender over there. And that's where I met her. Okay. And then did you guys together decide we want to do something in the restaurant industry? Um, or was it you? We decided together on what it was that we wanted mm -hmm. to do, uh, but it all, you know, at th by that time, it had sort of been my dream to do it. You know, I had a moment, it was about when I was 30, which was in 2004, um, when I, I remember kind of looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, well, you can either be a 40-year-old bartender mm -hmm. or you could be a 40-year-old bar owner. Uh, which direction do you want to go, you know? And so that had kind of been, at that point, my goal. You know, I had to kind of, I always sort of laugh about it. This is not to, d to diminish uh, anybody at all, but it was sort of the coming out moment, like where I have to, like, call my parents and tell them, so I'm a restaurant worker, <laughs> you know, and, and this is not just something that I'm doing until, right. until I figure out what I want to do with life. You know, these are my people. Mom, <laughs> mom I, dad, there's something I need yeah, to tell I you. I have to tell you that I will always probably work in the restaurant industry, you know. <laughs> and so uh, so at that point, I think that I decided, okay, well, if I'm going to do it, then I, I want to own. I want to be the, the – I want to make the call to shots or what, okay. you know, so to speak. Was it a bar at first or did you – want to do a restaurant too or I think a bar was what I was always most interested in because mm -hmm. I you know at the time I thought there was there's no profit margin in food yeah well and I remember uh, Chuck and I met you and Danny mm -hmm. at what used to be called World of Wine out in Del Rio yep we said hi we were you know just chit-chatting and at that moment I don't remember the year but you said 2006 okay we you said we're opening a tapas bar in mm -hmm. downtown Medford. And yes. I think the first thing that Chuck said was topless. <laughs> and you're like, everybody says. you're like, no, <laughs> topless. Yeah. And then I think, you know, me going, I'm like, what, wait, what is, what are top, what is tapas? What is that? Yeah. Um, a lot of people said a tapas bar is not going to work in downtown Medford. Yeah. A lot of people did say that. And that was, I mean, it's 2018 now. Yeah, it was uh, 12 years ago. Yeah. It, uh, we opened in December of 06. That's incredible. Yeah, a lot of people said it wouldn't work. And uh, 
I don't know how it worked in some ways. You yeah, know? well, why tapas? Well, you know, I think that that came, it came sort of from the standpoint that we didn't want to be a full restaurant, right? Like that was sort of our intention originally was to, was to, you know, the whole thing evolved and changed in so many mm -hmm. ways. Uh, when, when we first started talking about it, you know, basically the genesis of Elements entirely was, uh, you know, my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, sitting in the backyard of my house, throwing a dog ball kind of lazily. And, um, and then one of us saying to the other, like, hey, you want to go get a drink? And they were like, yeah, let's go to this place. Yeah, I don't like the food there. What about mm. this place? Yeah, it's too smoky. What about this place? Yeah, we work there. What about this place? Yeah, I just don't like the vibe. What about this place? Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like mm -hmm. where I want to go. Mm -hmm. So then I had just sort of gotten up and I went to the refrigerator and opened up a bottle of wine and took a couple glasses of wine out and handed her one. And I said, if you could go anywhere, what would it look like? And that's where we started sort of talking about it. You know, that's so awesome. we had decided, you know, pr that night uh, after a bottle of wine, <laughs> nudge, wink. nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> Uh, we had decided at that point, we even had the name at that point. We're like, we want to call it Elements. We want it to sort of incorporate these things. And I think our first concept was just so ridiculously large and, mm -hmm. you know, almost Disneylandish. you know, like there's going to be a fire room and there's going to be a water room. And, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, but that's the wine, right? <laughs> so at the end of it. It does things to us. Yeah. A couple, you know, a little bit later, we sort of laughed about it. And, and then a little bit later, uh, uh, we weren't allowed to date at Howie, so uh, I chose to be fired because I thought she made more money. And then uh, about a month later, she got fired for some reason. And so then we're both unemployed. <laughs> oh, crap. And so we're sitting there, you know, with bills to pay. And so I sold one of the cars that I owned from the, mm -hmm. if I had some money. I said, well, the money's going to last about this long. Um, let's have a nice summer. You know, mm -hmm. then it got to about September and I was like, okay, so we should probably write a business plan. Like if we're serious about this, let's just try to make this happen. Yeah. So uh, that was in uh, September of 05. And you guys did. Yeah. I mean, within about a year, we mm -hmm. were open. That's amazing. Where did Beerworks come along? Beerworks was originally when, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated with beer, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> obviously. That doesn't, that doesn't have good connotations right now in popular culture, <laughs> does it? <laughs> uh, I'm fascinated with beer, yeah. so I feel you. So uh, when, when I was, when we first opened Elements, one of uh, my friends was this guy, uh, Will, and he worked for Columbia. And, uh, and we had sort of been talking every once in a while, like, oh, there should be a beer store around here. You mm. know, there should be a place where you can get craft beer. You know, they, we see the lineups and stuff, but there's, you know, we need something more interesting. Uh, there should be a place where you can get, you know, specialty, specialty stuff. So uh, someone opened that, this woman named Sarah uh, opened something like that. And I think that there's a part of me that's sort of jealous. I was like, oh, I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so after a little while, you know, as a friend, she would come and ask me questions. And then at one point she just came to me and said, hey, I'll make you a 20% owner of this place, which was called Bear Creek Beers, you know, if you help me do some of these things. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I accepted and uh, never took any money or anything from it. It was just more like a pet project, you know, okay. this was fascinating to me. Uh, then that changed hands and I had another partner there and then it didn't go well and it ended up closing. Mm -hmm. And there was all of this extra beer lying around so I contacted uh, Wally, who's my partner, uh, one of my partners there now, and essentially said to him, hey, there's a lot of beer. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be any good, uh, but we could get our hands on it for pretty cheap. Okay. So we spent several thousand dollars, you know, bailing out the previous business and buying the beer and then getting it stored somewhere. And then at that point, we just decided, well, it, let's make a beer store and let's do it right. Let's move it up onto Main Street. Let's put in a huge cooler mm -hmm. because there was no cooling at the original mm -hmm. place. Uh, and so at that point, we just sort of imagined what would be a neat sort of beer store. Right. And, and so we just kind of built it on that. The, f the first of its kind in Medford. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, well, you can just go get beer. You can get out of the cooler. There's some on tap. Yeah. So, yes. First of it's kind of Medford. I mean, there are definitely places in Medford where you could get mm -hmm. creative beer before that. But, uh, yeah, I, I would. I think that's fair to say. Okay. So, first, a top, a first top restaurant. bar, first beer store. Exactly. That's where, I'm, that's where I'm going with this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's um, I, uh, ballsy. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Um, uh, brave, at least. Very brave. Yeah. So, I... I think about this sometimes that I, one of my favorite quotes from, from anything is, is from the uh, chef Marco Pierre White. And he writes in, uh, in his book, Devil in the Kitchen. So he's the youngest person to ever get three Michelin stars. And he was 24 years old when he was awarded his wow. third Michelin star. And in his sort of biography, uh, he's got this great quote that I think about and I, uh, that I've constantly thought about you know, when doing this and he says, uh, I didn't get to where I am because I'm talented. There were plenty of other people who were just as talented as me or maybe even more talented. I got to where I am because I was brave. Mm. And I think that that is one of those things that, you know, maybe that's what ties this back into, you know, that whole Scotland and Greece thing. Like, you know, well, now you know you can do it. Now you like, know you can do it. You know, it's the sort of have no fear. Like, mm -hmm. just move forward. Be too stupid to fail, you know. <laughs> awesome. Uh, just too single-minded. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. Um, we're going to wrap up a little bit and get sure, to the yeah, final three. Sorry. But no, no, no. You have um, – I, ha I can't – we can't wrap this up without talking about your three kiddos. You have okay. twins. Yes. And then – there's Caitlin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have the, yeah, Colin and Alexis, the nine-year-old twins. I just want to say Colin and Alexis, I met them when, you know, right when they were born. They still had that new baby smell. Yes. They love me. Like, <laughs> you love know, you. anytime I go over, Alexis more so than Colin, yeah. but there was a time where they loved me. Caitlin, nope, not even a little bit. <laughs> she, she gives me the stink anybody. eye every time I see her. And she's like, lady, I don't know who you are, but get that goofy grin away from me. She's probably after Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But they're so, so different. Yeah. I mean... You know, I don't want to sit here and gush about kids. That's kind of boring. It's okay. Uh, They're yours. Yeah, they are mine. Um, they are yours. Yeah, no, they, yeah they are. <laughs> we, we haven't figured out who the mother is yet. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, they're, each one of them is so fantastically different from each other one. Yes. And uh, I, I will say this. I never uh, – I don't know that I never – that I ever really intended to have children. Mm -hmm. It was never like I'm not having kids. But there was also, as, you know, traveling around, you know, I was basically retired until I was 30. Uh, you know, you go through this whole thing. It was, it was never really anything that I never really looked forward and thought, well, I plan on having children either, you know. Mm -hmm. But then I met this amazing woman who said, I plan on having children. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I guess that means I'm part of that plan. Right. So That's uh, Danny. Yeah. Guess I'm, guess I'm having children. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Know? Well, they're all adorable, even Caitlin. She's mm -hmm. adorable. She really is. You, you'll like her. She one just day. doesn't like me. I love her. I think she she's... doesn't like humans. <laughs> yeah, she has that problem. She's adorable. They're hilarious too. Very yeah. funny kids. All right, final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. I don't know. Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> probably being told that the the best job you can ever have is the job that you make for yourself. Some good advice there. Um, if you were ever to leave this place, what would bring you back? What would you miss the most? About Southern Oregon? Mm-hmm. Because you've come back a lot. I have come back a lot. Um, you know, I like that, and maybe it's because the apple never falls too far from the tree. You know, I'm, I'm not willing, I'm willing to admit that that might be part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's comfortable here. I mm -hmm. have established relationships. I have a, there's a, a, a nexus of, of friends and family that, you know, make this a comfortable space. But uh, if I ever left and came back, I, I think that'd probably be why I would come back. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I didn't have that, there wouldn't be a reason to come back necessarily. Cause I don't know that I will leave. Uh, okay. So if I left, then uh, there would be a reason for leaving. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I don't, I, I can't really look into the future to know what the reason for coming back would be. Although I, lo I love living close to the mountains. I love being, yeah. you know, I like winter sports. I like rafting. Mm -hmm. I like hiking. I, you know, love going to lakes, you know. So it's that sort of outdoorsy kind of thing that, that I enjoy. You consider this home? 
Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. You know that. I mean, and that's why I've done whatever I've done here. The uh, every single business that I've opened, or you know, whether it's Elements or Beer Works or the other Beer Works or the you know Medford Beer Week or the Southern Oregon Craft Brew Festival, all of those things are things that my goal is ultimately to make Medford and Southern Oregon a better place when I leave it than it was when I found it. Mm. And so, yeah, I don't think you, I don't think you decorate someone else's home. So, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. trying to decorate, this is probably my home. That's also some best advice that I've ever heard. Always leave something better than how you found it. Mm-hmm. Just good advice there. Okay. My favorite question. If you were ever given a final <laughs> meal and a final drink, what would that look like? <laughs> you, you told me to prep for this one. I did. Cause I, I know you, you're a foodie. I know. Um, so and it was, it's almost impossible. I mean, get, I don't even know how to answer it at this no. point. So I, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I have a couple of answers. One answer is, uh, I hope I don't ever have to make that decision. Like <clears throat> I would like to get hit by a meteor or just have it all end. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily interested in being like, Oh God, this is my last meal. Right. <laughs> you know, like, Who wants, that's a good point. That's Who a wants lot of to pressure. eat your final meal? Yeah. Like I would be nervous the whole time. Yeah, this right? is it. You couldn't even enjoy it. Uh, oh man, I need to rethink this question. So maybe the day before meals. Okay. Uh, you know, my final meal, uh, you know, probably if it was breakfast, I, I really like eggs Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, lunch, I think a nice big sort of sub sandwich, some kind of, mm. you know, with like uh, Havarti cheese and pepperoncinis and, you know, the, some simple pleasure Perfect. things. Maybe a beer to go with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, okay. So champagne in the morning. Of course. Right? Of course. <laughs> and then a, and a beer Duh. in the afternoon. Yeah. Maybe if it's my last meal and then a beer right after the champagne. <laughs> right. like, uh, let's day drink if it's. Absolutely. This yeah. is it. This is all yeah, you got. This is all you got. I'm mm-hmm. day drinking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. On dinner, there's so many amazing foods all mm-hmm. over the place. But, mm-hmm. you know, if I had to choose a. I think probably something that would be like really rich and uh, you know anything along those mm-hmm. you know lines. I love probably my favorite is duck confit. Mm. So uh, some kind of duck confit mm-hmm. uh, would definitely uh, be it. And then um, if it's the last meal, I'd probably sign off with the champagne as well. Right. <laughs> Just say, get it out. Fall asleep. <laughs> Waiter, check That's, please. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go straight down. That's awesome. All right, Chris Dennett. Go see Chris at Elements or Beerworks. Grab a beer, grab some tapas. Yeah, come in, check us out. Yeah, absolutely. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. You can also listen to this podcast uh, on Google Play. You can check out the video portion at ktvl.com. All you have to do is click on features and then off script. Once again, Chris in it. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.